excited to be with you this morning as usual. How many of you are doing well? Raise your hand if you're doing well this morning. That's good. Those are good numbers right there. Well, uh, time seems like it's flying, doesn't it? Does anyone else feel like time is just flying? I, I just talked to somebody just a couple days ago, and they said, man, we, we knew Easter was coming up, but we didn't realize it was next week. You realize Easter is next week? And it seems like it's still winter because it keeps snowing, but I think it's actually supposed to be spring, isn't it? And, and so time is flying, and, and I'm getting excited. I'm excited um, not just for today. I'm excited for next week. I'm excited um, for this holy week that we're entering into. Um, and, and so this is Palm Sunday. Most of you have probably been around the church a little bit, and, and you know that what Palm Sunday is all about. Somebody this morning said, hey, you're going to teach me about Palm Sunday, Right? And I said, well, I'm not going to teach you a lot about Palm Sunday because we're in, we're in First Peter, but I'll, I'll teach you a little bit. And so, so Palm Sunday, this is, this is this, the triumphal entry is what you might see it called in, in your Bible. It's, it's this big event. It's this moment where, where Jesus has been in his earthly ministry. Um, he's been doing miracles. He's been doing great things. And, and, then all, and, and now Palm Sunday is when he is finally coming into Jerusalem. So I was, I was watching the basketball games last night, and um, Loyola, uh, Loyola of Chicago, which is a team that none of us really knew much about before this tournament, made it to the Final Four, and they were showing um, a video of them going back home in between last weekend and, and this weekend when they went back and all their fans, and we saw this scene where these players and coaches are getting off the bus, and people are just ecstatic, and they're, they're excited, and they're cheering, and they're, they're getting them to sign things, and so that was kind of, for me, a good picture of, of this Palm Sunday event, the, and so Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's, he's kind of... If you're looking at it um, as a plane ride, it was kind of like his final descent into Jerusalem. He's coming into Jerusalem. People are excited. People have been hearing about this Jesus that's been doing miracles. People, people are excited because the king, Jesus, is coming. And so Jesus actually rides a donkey into Jerusalem, and as, as people come in, the disciples have put their cloaks on the donkey so that he had that to sit on, and as he comes into the city, people are, are laying their cloaks on the ground and waving palm branches and putting palm branches on the ground, and we get this, this idea of a king, a royal king coming in, and people are shouting, and they're excited, people, Palm Sunday, you might have noticed our, it's been a little bit different so far today. We, we had a good bit of choir music. We had, we had this special Palm Sunday worship experience. That's what Palm Sunday is. Hosanna. Hosanna, the king is here. Really, what Hosanna means, I want, I want to, this is what I'm going to teach you about Palm Sunday. So, so here it is. Hosanna actually is, is from the word, I'm not going to get this right, Hoshiana. And really what, what Hoshiana means, what it originally meant was, save us please. So it is this idea of, of um, I'm about to take a test. You guys all remember this when you were in school. I'm about to take a test and I didn't study enough. And I'm thinking, save us please. But that's not what the people were shouting. 
Because in scripture, this save us please actually was transformed into meaning something different. It took on a new meaning when people got the hope of Christ, the hope of a kingdom coming. And Hosanna actually means salvation has come. And so we see this picture of Jesus riding in on a donkey and people are waving branches and people are yelling, Hosanna, salvation has come. This guy's our salvation. This guy's going to save us. Hosanna. We got this huge moment. Salvation has come. Here's the thing. They believed that salvation was coming. They believed that their Savior was riding into Jerusalem, into the holy city. And they believed that they were going to be saved. And they were. They weren't wrong. But we know the story a, a little bit better than that. We know that, that, that on that day they were shouting, Hosanna, they were saying, salvation has come. But if we fast forward a few days, what were they shouting then? They were shouting, crucify him. Something changed after this, this big scene of the king coming in and this Hosanna. Something changed. And these people went from saying salvation has come to saying, let's get rid of this guy. Something's wrong with him. And so as we sing Hosanna this morning, we believe the king has come. And I believe that as Jesus, and we all believe that as Jesus marched into that city on a donkey, that salvation has come. But the problem was, the people didn't even understand what salvation was all about. They had no clue. The people that were waving branches and shouting Hosanna, do you know what they thought they were being saved from? They thought they were being saved from Roman oppression. They thought this guy's gonna come into town and he's gonna take over power and he's gonna deliver us from the oppression of these people. That's what they were, when they say salvation has come, they're talking about the salvation of not being under oppression to other people. That's what they thought. But I've, I've got good news for you this morning. The salvation that this king brings is so much bigger than just getting you into power for a little bit. It's so much bigger than that. Salvation has come. One, one writer said, this is from the Holman Commentary, said, what people failed to see is that the king had come to defeat a much bigger enemy than Rome. This king had come to deliver them from sin and death and deliver them from darkness. And so, Hosanna, salvation has come, absolutely. But they didn't even know what they were saying. They didn't know the scope of this. I'm convinced that sometimes we're right there with them. Sometimes we come in and say, Hosanna, Jesus is king, but we really don't even understand the amount of grace and love and freedom and, and forgiveness and the salvation that we're given. That's what this freedom and grace is all about. It's, it's, not, it's not just about getting a president in control that's going to help us. It's not just about getting a better job. It's about God giving us freedom, a living hope, God's kingdom coming. Hosanna, salvation has come. These people had no clue 
what it was all about. So what happened in the days between? They came to realize that the salvation they were looking for, they had this idealistic picture of of what salvation meant. And as Jesus came in and started to talk more and things started to happen, they started to think, wait, we're not getting the salvation that we thought we were getting. When I was thinking about a parallel to this, I thought about the idea of marriage. Because as a pastor, I, I get to meet with people who are getting ready to be married. And, and a lot of you are married, and so you kind of remember those early days. And I just, I think a lot of people decide to get married to each other, and they have no clue what they're getting themselves into. Would any of you say, I had no clue what I was getting myself into? You're not going to get in trouble. We'll give a free pass here. We're talking about freedom and grace. It's okay. I'm raising my hand. It's good. But I mean, seriously, we think like when, 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 you're, when you're in love with someone, when you're dating and you're in love, you're thinking, oh man, marriage, it's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. We're going to get along. It's, it's just going to be spending every day with that best friend. It is. It is. It's great. But it's also some difficult things. Marriage is also difficult in some ways. And I think a lot of people that decide to get married, they really have no clue what marriage is all about. And they learn. And and that's what I think these people were. I think they were like, hey, we're getting married. Salvation's coming. It's all good. The, The king is coming. We're saved. They have no clue what that even means. And so what happened was they expected easy, they expected winning, they expected, they expected control, they expected great things in their life to happen right in that moment. What they got was a king that wanted to deliver them from far more than that. What they got was really a suffering servant that would teach us to love each other and be graceful with each other, that would teach us to suffer for each other, that would teach us to have freedom and grace. And so they turned on them. The the perfect picture that they thought they had wasn't wasn't what unfolded. And so several days later, a lot of these same people that were waving these palm branches and laying their cloaks down were standing in an angry crowd shouting, crucify him because they had this picture and when it didn't turn out like the picture they decided maybe there was something else for them something else that could save them something else that could give them what they were looking for well today listen I don't I don't mean to be a downer in any way today is good news Today we celebrate that Jesus is king and we should celebrate and we should do the choir thing and we should get excited to enter into Holy Week. We should be excited that Easter is coming because Jesus is king and Jesus is Lord. But how do we make sure? How do we make sure that we don't make the same mistake that those people did thousands of years ago on Palm Sunday? How do we make sure that we really understand who Jesus is and that Jesus is king, not just today and the Palm Sunday, but tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and a month from now and a year from now. How do we make sure that history doesn't repeat itself and we don't trade Jesus, the king, for something that can't fulfill us? 
Well, we've been working through 1 Peter through the series, and today I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And so 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, listen to what this says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So I want to look at this text. I think this text is perfectly appropriate to where we are. This wasn't necessarily a Palm Sunday text, but I think this is perfect for Palm Sunday this week. So let's just work through it. The first thing is this. The end of all things is near. What Peter is trying to convey here is a sense of urgency. The end of all things is near. How many of you remember when, when um, your parents left town and left you at home for the first time for, for a day or two and you probably trashed the house a little bit just because you weren't being careful, but you knew that the parents were coming back, right? You knew you had to get things in order. This idea, the end is near. It's, you know, if you didn't get them in order, the end was near for you with your parents, right? But, but the idea is the end is near. Peter is conveying urgency. And, and it seems like that Peter was wrong here, right? Because Peter, who this is thousands of years ago, is saying, hey, the end is near, guys. It's, 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 some of us would, would translate this, the end is soon. But we're all sitting here, right? And it's thousands of years later, and so it seems like Peter was wrong. It seems like it was kind of a false sense of urgency, but I want you to understand that's not what Peter was saying right here. When he says the end is near, he is not talking about a time frame. Peter knew full well that this wasn't going to happen the next day or the next day. Peter knew he had sat with Jesus. He had learned from Jesus. Jesus had told them things that were going to happen before the end would come. And so Peter understood that the end wasn't coming the next day. This wasn't a matter of, hey, the end is tomorrow. And and so I just want to tell you right now, I'm not going to give you a great prophecy of when Jesus is coming back and the end is coming. I'm not going to do that today because I have no clue. But what Peter is saying here, and I will give you a little bit of prophecy today, and that's this. The end is coming. The nearness that Peter is talking about is not a time marker. The The nearness that he's talking about is about certainty, It's not about when, it's about that Jesus' kingdom is coming. And so when he says the end is near, it's not, when we say, when we read the end is near today, it's not that, hey, the end is next month, so you better get your stuff in order. That's not what this is saying. This is saying the end is certain. God's kingdom is coming. 
There, you, can, you can believe it, you can take it to the bank that Jesus' kingdom is coming, the end is near. One of the things I saw in, in a commentary, Beacon commentary said, in scripture, eminence or nearness is often logical rather than chronological. So the idea here was saying the end is near. The idea that we celebrate this morning when we say the end is near is not that we know when Jesus is coming back or we know when, when this world is gonna end. The, the idea is we know that Jesus is coming back. We know that God's kingdom is coming. It's near, it's imminent, it's gonna happen. We have certainty. That's good news today. See, the crowd, the people that came on Palm Sunday that were yelling Hosanna and waving the branches, they had no clue what was going to happen the next day. They had no clue what was going to happen several days from then. They had no clue what was going to happen in the years to follow. Peter says, the end is certain. The end is near. I've got good news for you today. It's not up in the air. We know why we are here, and we are here because God's kingdom is coming, period. It's, it's certain. The end is near. We, we don't, we, they didn't know this. We have the ability. In fact, Peter, at the time, I believe, was confused on this, but, but when he wrote this, what he's saying is, guys, I know it to be a fact now. The end is is near. Jesus is Lord through his death and resurrection. Because we know what happened this next week, we know that Jesus is Lord. We know that Jesus is who he said he was, and so the kingdom is coming. That's good news for us today. The events that followed the Palm Sunday triumphal entry just confirmed to us that Jesus is Lord. Jesus conquered sin and death. And God's kingdom is coming. I was thinking about this. We talked last week about the, the change in Peter. How Peter went from being this scared disciple that fled because he didn't know he wasn't sure. To Peter became a guy that gave everything he had for God's kingdom. What changed? He understood that the end is certain. God's kingdom is coming. And so as we sing Hosanna today, as we worship, as we sing these songs, we sing them knowing that Jesus' death was all part of God's plan to bring us into our eternal inheritance, which is God's kingdom. That's good news today. We don't sing this blindly. We don't have to sing this thinking about the wrong salvation. We know that as we sing Hosanna, salvation has come that what we're really singing about is God's kingdom coming and our eternal inheritance, our living hope. It's a certainty, there's no question about it. Death, taxes, God's kingdom, more so. And, and so Peter says, it's coming, the end is near. So be of sober mind so that you may pray. Be of sober mind so that you may pray. Sober mind, this idea that, that we understand what's happening. I was thinking about this. If we have the wrong picture of what's gonna happen, if, if you think something's gonna happen this week and things don't go according to plan, what happens to you? A lot of times you, you panic. 
You start to think, oh no, things aren't going right, and you, you change course. I was thinking, last week I talked about UC basketball, how much I was gonna watch the UC basketball game, and several of you made comments to me this week about how sorry you were for how poorly that game went. We all went on Sunday night and we watched UC, and they were up by 22 points in the second half, and it seemed like a certainty that they were gonna win, and something happened. They, they lost hope. All of a sudden, the other team started making some baskets. All of a sudden, the other team started to trim that lead down. And, and it's like UC lost their mind. They didn't know what to do. All they needed to do was score a few more baskets. The game was over. They were the better team. They were the better seed. They had proved it up to that point. But all of a sudden, the picture they had for the way that game was going to end started to change a little bit, and they got flustered. This is saying, be of sober mind so that you may pray. I believe that what Peter is saying right here is that we need to understand what's really happening. We need to keep things in perspective. If you're expecting the king, if you're expecting Palm Sunday and this savior just to give us a president that is gonna lead us in Christianity, you've got the wrong expectations, and when things happen that don't follow that plan, it's easy to start panicking. When something happens tomorrow at work, it's easy to panic and think, wait a minute, I, I thought the Savior was coming. And it's easy to start thinking like those people did, I need to find something else that can give me salvation. Peter says, no, understand this. God's kingdom is certain so you need to keep that in mind and have perspective in the things that happen. If those people would have kept the perspective, Jesus told them what was gonna happen. But they lost their perspective and they panicked and they traded God's kingdom for something that could never give them salvation. Regardless of what you face in this life, you have to keep your mind focused on the kingdom to come. Listen to me. As followers of Christ, regardless of what you face tomorrow, you have to keep your mind and your heart focused on God's kingdom. Not my kingdom. Not my job. Not my little world. God's kingdom. That's how, we keep the, that's how we keep the Savior as the Savior. That's how we don't turn. We understand that God's kingdom is coming and we keep things in perspective. And so then he goes on and he says, keep focused, the end is near. And then he says, as we focus our minds, it should affect the way that we treat each other. The rest of this section deals with our love for God pouring out to those around us. Peter, over and over again, when he's talking about this living hope, this glorious inheritance, this kingdom that is certain, over and over again, he talks about the way that we treat each other and the way that we love each other. Guess who else talked a lot about the way we treat each other? Jesus, the king. And so maybe, maybe it's important <laughs> for us to understand that the way we treat each other is a part of this kingdom. And so the, the end is near, the kingdom is coming, it's certain. So keep things in perspective and pray and trust God. And then he goes on and says, love each other because love can cover a multitude of sins. 
love each other because love can cover a multitude of sins. I was thinking about this. Um, When I started dating Megan, my parents had some pretty strict rules on what we say and don't say. A lot of words that maybe you guys in your house were able to say and you didn't bat an eye at, my parents wouldn't let us say. And if we said them, the, the consequences were harsh. And so I grew up in this house where we didn't say certain words that all of my friends said and all of their family said and all of that. I would say the average person said these words regularly, but we weren't allowed to say them. I'm not talking about curse words. I'm talking about like the, the smaller stuff. And I remember that when Megan and I started dating, she came on a vacation with us when, when, we, were, um, when we were engaged And Megan didn't have the same vocabulary that was banned in her house that we had. And so I'll never forget the first time that, I'm not gonna say the word, I don't wanna get in trouble with mom, but I'll never forget the first time that she said one of those words and we were all like, guess what my mother did? She laughed. She thought it was hilarious. They thought it was great. Do you know why they thought it was great? because they love Megan. It wasn't because she all of a sudden had a change of heart and thought, hey, that's a great word. We blew it all this time. We should let them say it. If I had said it, I probably would have gotten in trouble. But Megan, they love Megan. You guys know how this works, right? Because your kids do this. They do things, or your friends do this, or or your spouse, or or anyone does this. Your parents do this, and and they do something, and, and maybe it's something that you would typically have a problem with, but because it's someone you love, you're willing to overlook it. I was thinking about this. I really feel badly to tell you this, but honestly, I love my kids so much, and I love your kids too, but it's a little bit different. And so when my kid does something wrong, man, how, I mean, Charlie, I guess, there he is over there. I love Charlie. When he does something wrong, I mean, I might get upset for a little bit, but that's, that's, my, that's my Charlie boy, Like, I love that kid. And so my love can cover his faults. And maybe your kid would do something that Charlie would do and I wouldn't have the same grace and patience and love that I have for Charlie. Would we all nod our head or am I just a terrible person? Would we all nod our head and say, it's easy? Yeah, we love our kids so much that we're willing to overlook some of those things. Love covers a multitude of sins is what it says. And so, so Peter says the end is certain. Keep things in perspective and love each other because love covers a multitude of sins. The only way, the only way for us to be the church that God wants us to be is to love each other so deeply that we can look past each other's faults and failures. Isn't that what love is all about? Isn't that how marriage works? Because we don't take every flaw and failure and turn it into the end of the world, but we love each other and we cover each other. What Peter's saying is when we love each other, when we love each other, we actually can cover each other's sins. Now that doesn't mean that we can forgive the sins or salvation comes through us. That's not what that means. What that means is when we truly love each other, We show each other Christ. And as we show each other Christ, people are forgiven by God. I saw this quote in in another commentary. It said, where love abounds in in fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, 
Every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts about to Satan's perverse delight. Listen, we are called because we have a living hope, because the end is certain, we are called to love each other with a love that actually covers each other's faults. Aren't you glad for that? I am so thankful for parents that loved me even when I had faults and failures because I've had plenty. I'm so thankful for a wife that when I mess up, she still loves me. And if we will love each other with the love of God, we can actually cover each other's sins. We can, we can be at peace. We can have freedom in grace. We grace each other and it gives us freedom. God's love covered our faults and failures. Every one of us here today is either crazy or we would have to admit that we are not perfect and we have failed God way too much and as Deb prayed about earlier, we do not deserve the love and the grace that God has given us. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could have, so that our sins could be covered. And in turn, because we're free, we love each other. We cover each other. If you fail me, if you mess up, I need to be able to love you. I need to be able to extend grace. That's what we're called to. And so Peter says, love each other. Cover each other's sins. The next thing he says is, offer hospitality without grumbling. I, I wanna be honest with you. This is something that I think the church I don't mean to be a doom and gloomer, but I think this is something that the church in some ways has lost in today's culture. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about, in general, the church. Offer hospitality without grumbling. I'm afraid that out of convenience and out of the busyness of our lives, we've stopped being hospitable and going out of our way for each other. We've stopped getting past surface relationships. If we're gonna love each other with a love that covers each other's faults and failures, guess what? We need to know each other. We need to go out of our way to love each other and to know each other and to build each other up. I, listen, I, I, don't, I remember growing up as a pastor's kid. We had people at our house or we were at someone's house at least once a week. We were knowing each other, but today too often people believe in God, but they don't invest in each other. And so when we understand that the end is near, it's certain, it's going to happen, when we keep things in perspective, if we're going to love each other with a love that covers each other, we've got to be hospitable and know each other. And so Peter says, be hospitable, go out of your way to show each other Christ. If there was ever a group of people that should go above and beyond to love each other, it's us. Because we're free. Because Jesus loved us first. So the freedom that we get, we pass to others. Be hospitable. Love each other. And the next part says, use the gifts you have to serve others. What are you gifted at? I've learned that it's a dangerous thing to go on a hospital visit with Pastor Deb. Do you guys know why it's a dangerous thing to go on a hospital visit with Pastor Deb? Because she sings. And if you're on the visit with her, guess what you're gonna have to do? You're gonna have to sing. But you know what, and, and I'm gonna brag on you a little bit. You know what I love? 
is that Pastor Deb takes the gift that God's given her, her voice, her ability to worship, and she uses it to serve others. It's incredible to see someone that's sick and that's hurting and to have Deb say, I love them and I'm gonna use the gift that God has given me to serve them. And it's not just Deb, it's a lot of you. It's those of you that show up during the week. It's those of you that send cards to each other. It's those of you that, that say nice things. I heard a story this week. Somebody said, I ran into someone at the store and they said, I'm praying for you and I love you and I want the best for you. And that, th- that alone, the prayer that that person gave with other people lifted that person up. Use what you have to serve each other. God has given us all gifts and we need to use them to lift each other up. I'm not just talking about professional service of people. I'm talking about as followers of Christ, we love each other so much that we cover each other and we offer ourselves to each other. We're hospitable and we serve each other with what we have. What do you have that you can use to serve others? We need to serve each other. He goes on and says, when when somebody speaks, they should speak as, as one that has the very words of Christ. I don't know if you know this, but your words have ability to create things. When we talk about freedom and grace, your words create things. When you say things that are negative and hurtful, some of you know this because you've lived through this, somebody has said something to you and used words that scarred you and it's hurt you for a long time. Your words have the ability to take away people's freedom or they have the ability to give people freedom. And so Peter says, when you speak to each other, speak as if they're the very words of God. Man, that's huge. When we're we're in relationship with each other, the way I speak to you should be the way that God would speak to you. I should lift you up goes on and says, anyone that serves should serve with the power of God. Here's the thing. If I serve you in my power, I don't have a lot of power. And if something goes wrong, if you do something, I'm not going to have the strength to serve you the way that I want to because I'll just be honest with you. I, in myself, in my carnal nature, nature can be selfish and I don't have that power. But guess what? When I serve in God's power, I can serve you and love you regardless Because God's power is greater than mine. And so we have this living hope, this freedom in Christ. And are you seeing what Peter's saying? He's saying, take it and bless each other with it. Love each other. Cover each other. Lift each other up. Serve each other. And you're speaking. And you're serving in everything you do. And then it ends by saying, in everything we do, it's for God's glory. We don't just come in on Palm Sunday and wave palm branches and sing songs. God wants more than that from us. We should give God glory, not just on Palm Sunday or on Sunday. We should give God glory on Tuesday. We should give God glory at the grocery store. We should give God glory at lunch. We should give God glory when we're disagreeing about something. We are called to to give God's freedom to others and God's love to others. The way we relate to each other is worship to God. Do you understand that? Just as much as you being here on Sunday morning and singing together is worship to God, the way that you treat each other is worship to God. And so Peter says, the end is near, the kingdom is coming, it's certain. So love each other, 
pray to God, keep things in perspective, and love each other. Today, as we wrap up this Palm Sunday service, we're actually going to sing a song called Hosanna. But I want you to understand today the good news, and that's this. God's kingdom is coming. We have a living hope. We have an eternal inheritance that can't be taken away. God loves you. God gave you grace when you didn't deserve it. And part of your worship is loving God, like we talked about in the last series, loving God and loving each other. And so today as the band comes up, we're going to sing this song, Hosanna, And I want you to think about the fact that this Hosanna that we sing today is not just a Sunday morning Palm Sunday thing, but we need to sing Hosanna on Tuesday. We need to sing Hosanna on Wednesday. We need to sing Hosanna with the way we talk to each other, with the way we serve each other in everything we do, because we are being built into God's holy temple. We are royal priesthood, and we are called to love God and to love each other. And so, as we sing today, I want you to say, God, you, salvation has come. But I want you to pray, God, transform my heart to where I act like it tomorrow. That I don't trade that salvation and I don't keep that salvation from others, but that I pass it on to others and I love others. Father, we love you this morning. And we all come before you and we're so thankful for the grace that you have. We're thankful that you overlooked our faults and failures. And Lord, I pray that this time, this this service today, as we enter into Holy Week, I pray that we would say, you are King, you are Lord, and wave our branches and say, Hosanna, salvation has come. But I pray you would transform our hearts to where salvation is here every single day. And we live in the hope and the certainty that your kingdom is coming. So use that to transform our hearts and lives and help us to love each other. Amen.